Well, you know me. I like to have a plan. I like to be prepared. And we had a plan for this morning that was in line with that theme of freedom, spiritual freedom in Christ. And uh, we had asked a number of you to be ready to share some testimonies this morning. But because of some events that have occurred the last couple of days and really the level of loss experienced in our church family the last couple of weeks, our pastors talked yesterday and we really felt strongly that we ought to change it up and call an audible and go a different direction with our time together this morning. So if you were juiced up about sharing a testimony of spiritual freedom, hold on to that. We'll find another opportunity uh, to, to do that in the future. Psalm 46 reads like this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. What do we see here? What we see is the psalmist processing trouble and tragedy in the light of who he knew God to be. He was processing tragedy and trouble in the light of his theology and declaring that God is a refuge for his people when they are in trouble. A refuge in that day was a place that you would run to for security and safety. And we all have a refuge we run to when trouble comes. He said God is our refuge. He declares that God is a source of refreshment for his people. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And that points to the river of life that erupts within the hearts of those who truly know Jesus Christ. And so the psalmist declares that God is a source of refreshment and sustenance and life for his people. He declares and reminds the people of God that it is God who is over all. God who is sovereign. As it says in another place, the Lord sits on his throne in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. That God is over all. That God does allow and even at times cause disaster. And it says desolation. But despite all that, God is always in control. Nothing is spinning wildly out of his plan. I love the fact that the psalmist here reminds the people of God that God will be exalted among the nations. God will receive the glory that is due His name. God knows that there is no one greater than God. And so this is the great self-exaltation of God. And He invites us into that. 
and gives us, as we sang earlier, great joy in worshiping him. Because it's what we were made to do. And then this wonderful promise, the Lord of hosts is with us, speaks of his presence, doesn't it? God is with his people. He is with us in his manifest presence. He is always with us at all times. When we're in trouble, when we're on the mountaintop, when we're struggling with questions and confusion, the Lord of hosts promises to be with his people. I love this statement. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be quiet. Get quiet. Turn down the other loudspeakers in your life and listen. It's in those moments, isn't it, of stillness and quietness that our vision of God is sharpened and clarified and magnified and we see the Lord God Almighty for who he really is. Be still and know that I am God. In a few moments, Pastor Claude is going to lead us in a time of quietness and stillness and prayer together as a church family. I want to talk with us today a little bit about processing trouble and tragedy and loss. And I want to say three things. And the first one is that we need to process tragedy. We as human beings need to process the difficulties, the tragedies that we hear about and that we experience. But it seems, doesn't it, that everything in our culture is pushing us to skim over tragedy, to not enter into it, to not fully embrace it and process it. You watch the news and you hear in one moment that people have died, soldiers have died on the ground in Afghanistan, and you you hear that report, and the next report is about you know, the TSA being too intrusive in their pat-downs in airports, and then there's another story and another. And we're moved from story to story to story, from information to information, without allowing the weightiness, without giving us time to process the weightiness of what we just heard or, or what was reported to us. But the truth about humans is that tragedy knocks the wind out of us, doesn't it? It rattles us. It can shake us to the very core of our being. It can even shake our faith. It can do that. I think also as humans, by nature, we want to make sense of tragedy when we hear about it, especially if it's close to home. We, We want to understand it. We want to understand what happened. We want to understand why it happened or how it could have happened. And that's very normal for us. Well, as pastors, we realize that in the past two weeks, our church family has experienced an unusual amount of loss. It feels like we're in a season of grief and and like waves of loss have been pounding our church family. Just a couple weeks ago, Marilyn Lankford told us that um, she lost her father and thankfully she was able to get down there and visit him before he passed and then went back down for the funeral, and we grieved with her. Days later, we heard that Dale Turner lost his father on June 19th, and then we lost our dear, sweet Arlene Guerin, daughter of Barbara Montfort, who'd already lost one daughter and her husband. And Arlene, at the age of 55, slipped into eternity in an 
a sudden unexpected way. And I did her funeral last weekend and that was tough. I sat in small groups for several years with Arlene. Sweet, sweet lady who loved Jesus. Then we heard that Dave Shaner lost his mother. And then that Dwayne Phillips lost his father. Then we heard that um, a young man here in our community named Shane Alba, who doesn't attend church here but is a friend of many new lifers, uh, going to be a senior, played in the high school band, just suddenly and unexpectedly lost his life, slipped into eternity. The funeral was this last Tuesday. Many friends and family. We were shocked to find out that our own Dwayne Rutherford, again, suddenly and unexpectedly passed away last weekend. Usher in our Saturday night celebrations, Dwayne and Kathy, and then she made her way to Indiana for the memorial service there this week. Then we heard that Aline Chittam, a longtime member of New Life, passed away this week and was buried right over here in uh, Mifflin Cemetery. And then on Friday, I got the call that you don't want to get as a pastor. An urgent message from Costa Rica, please call, something has happened. Called down there and our team, we have a team, a missions team in Costa Rica. We, had, they were, we prayed for them just two weeks ago, right up here. And they've had a week of great ministry down there. And they had a day of a team day, a fun day after a hard week of ministering. And they were, they went zip lining and then went down to the beach and were in the water. And one of the team members, Dean Stecklin, I heard had an accident in the water that he'd gone under. And they retrieved him, and he wasn't breathing for somewhere, I've heard, between 10 and 20 minutes. That this was extremely, extremely serious. One of the team members, Mike Monjot, is a nurse and immediately administered CPR to Dean. And we were getting reports, but it was kind of spotty, and, and you know, it's, there's cultural barriers, there's cell phone coverage that's not that great, and... The details were sketchy, and so we didn't put out reports real quickly because we wanted to find out, you know, what had happened and how serious was this. They took Dean to a local clinic. They were able to get him breathing again, which was good. But that clinic was under-resourced, so they took him somewhere else, and finally, after a period of time, got him to a major hospital in a large city in San Jose and where it was discovered after midnight that night that what had actually happened is that he had had a brain aneurysm. It had originally been thought that maybe, you know, the riptides had pulled him under, like we've heard in other situations down there, but, but this was different. And when they ran the, the scan, there was no brain activity, none. and hasn't been up to a few minutes ago as we heard the reports. And the situation's been worsening. And uh, he just passed away. And as you can imagine, our team down there was distraught and devastated by this. Lots of confusion and questions and what was happening. And his wife, Sabrina, went down, got a ticket, flew down yesterday to be there with him. Thank God she was able to be with him for a, a time. And this is hard. This is hard for a church family. It's hard for a family. When I heard 
when I first heard about Dean, I, my mind flashed back to my conversations with him. What a great brother. Dean was an usher at this service right at that door. So if you came in that, come in that door regularly, that's Dean. His family's very involved and engaged here in small groups. Sabrina serves in children's, children's ministry. They have four very young children. Dean had just completed some extensive training on learning to become a mentor to fatherless children. Was ready to go with that. He took some Soma classes this spring, and I got to know him a little better. And we had some conversations in that time, and he was reading some John Piper books, and they were stretching him and taking him deeper into God. And in one of those conversations, I just remember walking away thinking, that man is deep. <laughs> he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus a lot. Sabrina is a wonderful Christian lady who loves Christ and can only imagine what she's thinking and feeling right now. There's a service going on down there right now. Pastor Brian is preaching, and I'm sure the little congregation there in, in Las Anonas is grieving and in tears. And, but Sabrina's there, and the team is rallying around her. And she's leaning on them, and she's finding lots of love and support and hugs and prayers. But let's just admit, this is hard. Really, really hard. You know, we need to give ourselves and each other time to process these kinds of events. To share, to grieve, to weep, to mourn. It's unhealthy for individuals or communities or cultures to skim over tragedy time and time again without coming to grips with the deep emotions that come to the surface in times like this. Like the psalmist, we need to learn to process tragedy in light of what we know to be true about God. What we believe to be true about him, what he's revealed to us in his holy word. God is our refuge and strength, it says, an ever-present help in time of trouble. You say, where do I run when I'm in trouble? Where do I run when I'm grieving? Where do I run when I hear news that just takes the wind out of me. The psalmist encouraged the people of God to run to God. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It was so beautiful. I was uh, sitting in Barbara Monfort's kitchen at her kitchen table there a couple weeks ago, and we were sharing memories and looking at pictures of Arlene, and we were talking, and all of a sudden Barbara looked at me and she said, Steve, I've lost my husband now and one daughter and now a second daughter. And I just want you to know, God is so merciful to me. In my spirit, I'm like, what? And she said, God orchestrated everything in such a way. He even had someone here with me that particular morning so that that person could find my daughter lying in her bed and I didn't have to go in and find her. And she recounted the different ways that she believed God had mercy on her and at the funeral service, she stood up and read Psalm 62. This is a mom now who's lost two daughters and a husband. And said, God is my rock. God is my fortress. Where are you going to run? Where are you going to go? 
when the wheels are coming off, when the walls are caving in, when your life seems to be coming apart at the seams, do you know God? Is he your rock, fortress? You know, I believe that all tragedy should be viewed in light of the ultimate tragedy, the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about it. That was a tragedy of the highest order, wasn't it? Think about that for a moment. Think about that scene on Golgotha's hill that day. From all appearances, the crucifixion of this man was tragic. An innocent man was condemned to death, and never was there a more innocent man than the Lord Jesus Christ. A young man, 33 years of age, was seemingly cut down in the prime of life before his mission was completed, but then we're told in the scriptures that it was in that moment that he was completing his mission. Mom's heart was broken. In effect, the creator was being brutalized by his own creation. And a holy God was suffering and dying on behalf of sinful mankind, guilty sinners like me. I believe that all tragedy should remind us of the ultimate tragedy of the cross. And be seen in light of it. Already this morning, I've had several people say to me, you know, my thing that I was all upset about got right-sized in light of what other families in our church are experiencing and in light of the cross of Christ. Wasn't it just a couple months ago that our friend over at Scarlet City Church, one of the pastors, Gabe DeGarmo, lost his little two-year-old son in a freak accident? Wasn't that just a couple months ago? And I'm still flabbergasted when I think of what Gabe said at the memorial service, standing up there, tears streaming down his face. He said this, Because of our grief over our loss of our son, we are grateful to now know more of what God felt and experienced when his son died. And I thought, oh my, there is some maturity behind those words (laughs) that's beyond where I'm at or would be at in that situation. We now understand more of God's sufferings and losing his son. I want to remind us that God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. Imagine if you had been on Golgotha's hill that day, and among the crowd there, and perhaps a friend of Jesus, or a sympathizer with Jesus' cause, if you'd looked at what men were doing to Jesus, it certainly looked like Satan had won. It certainly looked like God had lost control of things and that evil was going to triumph over good. It looked like there was no justice in the world. How could the most pure, perfect person of all the ages be subjected to what humiliation he was going through in that moment? And yet, God had a plan and a purpose and he, in that moment... Turn the tables, and in the midst of tragedy, God was accomplishing the ultimate triumph. The satisfaction of his own justice that would enable him to show mercy to guilty sinners like you and me. Now, he could forgive people and still be just because of the tragedy of his son's death. God never does anything without a purpose. I love what John Piper says. When God's doing one thing, he's doing a thousand things. 
We're down here on the earth. We can't see it all. We have our vantage point from down here. We don't have the view from 30,000 feet or 30 gazillion miles that God has who sees past, present, and future and is working all things in accordance with His purposes. We can't see it, can we? Often we're confused and have questions. God never does anything without a purpose. He allows tragedy. He does not prevent all evil, all disaster, all wrongdoing. But he uses tragedy to accomplish his purposes. You're probably like me. I don't understand. God, what are your purposes? If I was God, I wouldn't do it this way. And he reminds me of what Isaiah said. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Like Paul said in Romans 11, the ways of God are inscrutable. You can't figure them out. They're beyond our little mind's ability to comprehend. What might God be doing in allowing tragedy? What what might his purposes be? I can't tell you what they are, but I can tell you this. One of his purposes is always, always, always to make his son look great. To magnify and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And so that's how I pray. When I get that report, when I hear about this event, even last night, just around our bed, in our bedroom, our family gathered together and we prayed. And we prayed for the Stecklin family. And we prayed for Sabrina. And we said, God, you know, make your son look great through this somehow, some way. And we also prayed for healing. <laughs> At that point, what would have been a resurrection? We can pray for those things. We can ask. There's nothing wrong with asking God for what we would like to see happen from our vantage point here on the earth. And then say, Lord, nevertheless, your will be done. Accomplish your will. Fulfill your holy purposes. Ephesians 1 tells us that the purpose of his will is the praise of his glory. And God will work. Sometimes we don't even understand or hear about that until months or years or decades later. And we see, look back and see, okay, that's how God brought glory to Christ through that event. Just didn't make sense at the time. Some cases we'll not know this side of eternity. We need to learn to process tragedy. And we need to learn to process tragedy in light of what we believe about God, in, in light of theology. But third, we need to process tragedy together. Together, like the psalmist did. He wrote, God is our refuge. We will not fear. The Lord of hosts is with us. This Psalm 46 was read in the, in the large worship assembly like we're in today. This was not privatized Grieving and journaling. Instead, it was the worship leader reminding God's people of God's nature and God's character, prompting them to process their troubling experiences together. That's really what we're doing right now. We're processing trouble together. And may I say that's one reason why it's so important to be connected? to be in relationship, to be in community with people so that you have people to process trouble and tragedy with when it strikes. 
It's kind of late to wait until that happens and then look for people to come alongside you and support you. It's best to be in community already. with People that you're traveling life together with where you can seek out prayers and support. I wonder what the body count is of Christians, people who name the name of Christ, who became disillusioned with Christianity after experiencing pain, loss, tragedy, death, devastation. I know people like that and, 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 and end up turning away from Jesus. Like, didn't work for me. Anybody of you know people like that? And then I wonder what the percentage of those people is who were connected in meaningful relationships and had that brother's keeper kind of support around them. I would imagine that percentage would be pretty low. It is in my experience. Processing tragedy in isolation is not healthy. It can lead to warped views of God. It can lead to wrong inferences from what has happened. We need to let other people speak into our processing of what we're going through. This is what brothers keeper church families do. They process these things together. Just this week I had someone tell me that because of how people really didn't respond to them in what they were going through, they questioned whether New Life Church really is a brothers keeper church. And I had to step back and be honest and say, you know, you're probably right. We're probably not there yet. This is not as deep in the culture here yet as it needs to be. But I can say this, we want to get there. We want to become that kind of a church. The desire is there, even if the actuality, the reality isn't there yet. I pray God gets us there. I want to remind you of a couple things. One is, in times like this, we need to be reminded that this life is not all there is. It's not. In fact, it's not even, it's a fraction of all that is. Isn't that true? Eternity lasts forever. And the great hope of the gospel is that believers in Jesus Christ, true believers in Jesus Christ, will pass into eternity, into a a span of existence that is unfathomable, that lasts forever. And our little 30, 40, 50, 70, 80, 90 years on this planet will seem like infinitesimally small fraction compared to eternity. Let's keep that in mind. Let's keep it in mind as we think of Dean this morning. I had enough conversations with Dean to know where his faith was. And so he's with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. More alive than he's ever been. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise you can take to the bank. Nothing can separate Jesus from his people. Nothing, not death, nothing.
In fact, death ushers us into his very presence. Let me say a few things about how to respond to people, how to minister to someone in the aftermath of tragedy, and then Pastor Claude's going to come. See, I, all of these folks in our church family, they're going through difficult times and grieving. How can I help? How can, what can I do? And let me mention several things. One, you can pray. Is that your first response when you hear something? It is mine now. It's just to pray. Pray for them. Pray to God to touch them and work in their situation. Be with them. Give them the gift of your presence to the extent that that's a blessing to them. Just be with them. Sometimes we don't know what to do. We feel inadequate. I feel this way. Inadequate, not sure how to help. You know what the best thing you can do often is, is just be there. Just sit with them. You can do that. You don't have to have a seminary degree. To sit with someone and listen and be there, be there and hug them. Don't offer advice unless they ask for it. Remember Job's friends? They were there, but they offered unsolicited advice and it wasn't helpful. Don't feel like, you know, sometimes I'm like this, you know, I need to say that one thing that's just going to change the whole situation. And I don't think I've ever said it. <laughs> I've tried and it didn't go well. It just... Give yourself permission to not have to be the Savior, okay? There's only one. Just be there. You don't have to correct their theology when they're overwhelmed with grief. We would all in that situation say things and question, maybe say things about God that in clear-headed moments we wouldn't say. And we don't, as helpers, we don't need to correct that theology right then. <laughs> it would be time to talk about all that later. Just listen. We shouldn't feel like we have to fix them or identify with them or say, I understand. That, that often doesn't help. It often just shifts the focus back to us and our deal. Just be there. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. And sure, we can support them practically with hugs. How many of you can give hugs? Hugs are good, really good. Hugs affirm love, care, concern. Offer meals. Hey, can we bring a meal by? How can we help practically? Can we mow your lawn next? What can we do? Offer those things. And then pray. And keep praying. And that's what we want to do right now as a church family. And so I've asked Pastor Claude to come and guide us into just a special time of prayer for the Steckland family and all of these families who've recently experienced great loss. So Pastor Claude...